You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back to Arsenal Pass, episode 134. I'm Hayden Dale, and this beautiful picture next to me is Brendan Patrick. If you are audio only, Brendan has no video today, but you get if you're on YouTube, you get to look at this nice... This is a model shot, right, Brendan? Surely this is a modeling shot. No, it wasn't actually, but... I, uh, the reason the picture is up is due to the joys of traveling. I think the Airbnb I'm in right now has some of the worst internet I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> I tried to, I was recording a, a different episode a couple of days ago in a different, <laughs> in a different hotel room. And it was the, the pile of absolute unusable garbage that I got after I unclicked the record button in terms of video was astounding yeah. <laughs> so yeah not gonna make that mistake again uh but yeah i mean traveling is always just gonna be a pain in the butt when it comes to when it comes to recording especially when it's, it's like bandwidth stuff like the the audio the video or at least like the you can bring the items with you but you just never know the when end it products comes to like yes sir yeah. and yes, we're sir. doing a lot of traveling over the next uh month so we have to work this out mm. But we do get to do an in-person episode, so those those come those are very special. But we will probably get to get to, we pro- probably will get to do one of those ones in Barcelona, which it makes it all worth it for sure. We've done I think max wait like two or three of those lifetime. We'll, we'll make sure to do one this this time. Yeah, maybe State of the Meta will come back. You remember that? Oh, State of the Meta. Yeah, we did that in Florida after the calling. That's like that's a throwback for two years ago. That's how long we've been yeah, podcasting? I, which you know, we'll, know we'll get onto. We're still kicking, but <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, State of the meta. Yeah, I remember recording that one hot off the press, hot off the tournament of Orlando. Um yeah, it's a it's a it's a bi it's it's a bi yearly it's a bi yearly segment, that one. <laughs> Everyone's favorite bi yearly. It's kinda of like an episode of um of uh, Sherlock Holmes. Anyway, what yeah. are we talking about this week on the pod? We're going to be talking about layers of metagame, but probably not in the way um, that you would immediately think when I say that phrase. So we're going to be looking at the world's class constructed meta and talking about just what's going through our minds when selecting a deck and how we're, how, what, what kind of process we're going mm. through in terms of what hero we might play, right? So for instance, just go from a super high level, like layer one is Dramai. Like in my opinion, I think this is an opinion a lot of people share. Dramai is sort of the deck heading into the world championships. But what does that mean in the context of how how do you need to be prepared for the world championship? Do you need to be prepared to play Jermai or do you need to be playing decks that are actively good into Jermai? Do those decks exist, et cetera, et cetera. And we progress through layer one to layer two, deck the beats deck to layer three. And what are the strengths and weaknesses of going down a layer from layer one? Because for instance, um, you know, I would say historically our team has been a team that has played layer two decks, right? We, we tend to stay away from the best deck in the room, mm-hmm. but there comes tournaments like at Pro Tour Lille where you literally, it, it felt like you had to just kind of play the deck. And we're going to look at this meta and analyze like, in our opinion, or at least right now, as we head into this world championships, is this one of those metas? Is Jermai that deck? Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm excited to talk more about that because in retrospect on Lille, one of my biggest sort of retrospects of Lille is like, I, I felt like we we played the wrong layer in Lille, actually. So um, yeah, like to yeah, your point, what would have been the, what would have been the deck? So I agree with you because I think at the end of the tournament we all ended up miserable. <laughs> yeah. So it was like maybe it wasn't the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. But in terms of a deck list, um, I do wonder what we would have played because I I've actually had this conversation since Lille, and I was like, 
you know, uh, Icelander obviously was a yeah. viable, very viable Icelander. deck, but I mean, that, that was a legit auto loss into prison back in the day. So I don't yep. want to tangent too much, but it, Leal was, Leal was one of the most myopic metas I think we've had in Flesh and Blood. It was the, yeah, it was the, the event I enjoyed preparing for the least by a mile. Um, although I did like Uprising Draft, but anyway, uh, I guess quickly before we, we get into dive into the main topic, cause it's a, it is a juicy one. I think we're gonna have a lot of back and forth on this because we are going through a process right now and um yeah this week in flesh and blood what did you yeah. get up to this well this week in flesh and blood i i was actually able to hang out with sam o'burn um in los angeles so i'm traveling in california and i was able to hang out with him uh the other day for a few hours just talk talk some shit and just, who's just sam have fun. O'Burn? no good. one knows who that guy is who's that guy that's like your best friend bro you know who that is <laughs> shout out to uh <laughs> So it's three floating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're making moves. Um, you know, we're big fans of their work, of course. Uh, but yeah, it was great. It was great. I've been I've been traveling a lot. Um, just been on the road. I'm up in NorCal now, hence the picture. So just been super busy and looking forward to the <laughs> to this world championship. And I feel like I've been I've been kind of you know playing a bit of daddy in the in the in the world's testing group chat. I just I feel like I've just been that grumpy old blunt guy. It's just like okay, everybody shut up about Kano, please, for one time. You guys don't need to fly across halfway across the world to lose again. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, but um, in terms of news, uh, we do have some big news. Which what about actually my just dropped. Blood? What about my week in flesh and blood? Shit. <laughs> no one cares. Right. No one cares. My I bad. Hands up. Hands up. I apologize. I apologize. Uh, oh, no, the reason I want to, I just played a couple of pro quests this weekend, which I. Did you win again? No, I lost in the quarterfinals in both of them. So, yeah, bad. Always the bridesmaid, huh? Yeah, well, apparently. Yeah. Well, not even that. But I did get to play a pro quest with Sasha Markovic, and that was pretty fun. Uh, I did beat him, though. I just want to point that out. We played a draft pro quest, and I, I did beat Sasha again. He, I don't think he's he's ever beat me in a game of draft, which. And before he probably has, and I've just forgotten. Uh, but I made a top eight, drafted. I mean, we don't need to talk about limited. We can talk about that in another pod. But um, it was a draft. And then Saturday, the day before, was constructed. I played a draw my list, which I did share on on our Discord as well, which I'm probably playing a very similar version this coming weekend in Melbourne. Um, I'm on draw my. So, yeah, I mean, all rights reserved if I opt out at the last minute to something else. But I don't think there's anything I would consider switching to at this point, honestly. Uh, unless someone convinces me that I should just be playing Lexi. But yeah, I played Jeremiah again, lost a mirror in the quarterfinals, which was, uh, was a first for me, actually. I haven't lost many mirrors in Jeremiah, so I got schooled a little bit. Uh, if you could summarize your your learnings from drafts so far, um, what what would you say? If it was like one sentence, what has been your big takeaway from all this draft practice? <laughs> uh, That's a great question. If I could to keep it simple, what would be my, my takeaway from draft practice so far? is just do the thing with the best numbers. Mm-hmm. Yep, makes sense. <laughs> I, I remember uh, literally before I hopped on this call, I went into a group chat with Peter Budensek and Sasha. Sasha was like, yeah, so I think it's optimal to play 44 cards in this format, but actually that's impossible, so you can't do it. And I was like, well, what, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? You just play yeah, very, yeah, a very... Um, very quantitative format to say the least. Uh, I'm interested to see how it plays out on at, at the World Championships at the highest level 
on the most premiere stage yeah. um, because I will be casting it. So You're going to get to see it firsthand. <laughs> I keep thinking that I've solved it. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. Numbers don't matter. Here's the synergistic deck. And then two games and it falls apart. Like the first two games, like, yeah, this is cooking. This is humming. And then you lose to like what I would perceive to be an infinitely worse deck. And it's just like, oh, okay, all right. We, we go back to the drawing board here. I do think yeah. there is these decks that break the numbers in this limited mm-hmm. format. And what I, what I mean when I say that is like the things that aren't just doing the most efficient kind of attacks and defense and things like that, like kind of walk and style, things that can actually synergistically do something. Um, one of those, I mean, I drafted a card called Moonshot, if you're familiar with that card, Brendan, in my top eight draft and set up a, um, try to set up a big 13 overload turn on that one. But um, when that doesn't come together... Sounds bad. like it, it. It sounds like it was a moonshot that one. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure if you're familiar with that phrase, but it means uh, not very likely. Yeah, the moon <laughs> uh, land amongst the stars. Yeah. All right, take us in. You've got some some news to share with us. Yeah, so it just dropped. So the MNR podcast decided to discontinue their podcast. Um, there's a video that went up. Yeah, I mean, it was a regularly scheduled podcast. It's about 20 to 30 minutes where Roger and Michael sort of run through their thought process on discontinuing the pod or at least pausing it you know pausing is probably the more correct word uh sort of indefinitely maybe picking it back up later but it mostly comes from uh i think it's a shared disinterest in the game or a fading interest in the game mostly on the side of roger who's upfront with that which like he just doesn't you know there's other things going on in his life that he wants to take care of um and that flesh and blood has sort of lost that spark one thing it's important i just think it's important to talk about because you know mnr at this point is um undeniably one of the biggest content creators in flesh and blood and watching fab native content creators you know content creators that started in flesh and blood devoted their channels to flesh and blood and were completely based around that content uh leave the game is significant especially in the podcasting space because mnr was a large force uh in that and i think that a lot of the arguments that roger makes are valid you know, there's a significant amount of them where he is, and he's upfront with it, by the that it is just his opinion. He doesn't enjoy the game as much as he used to. And that, that is a valid point in and of itself to leave the game. If you don't want to play the game, sure. if it's not fun, uh, then that's a good reason not to play it. But <laughs> the sets, the recent two to three sets, um, I think that, you know, for me, I just wish... <laughs> Because when I think about bright lights and when I think about these these recent sets, um, it's it's just so antithetical to what is presented to me from LSS and the the development team and the studio. Like I never hear about anything where it's like, oh, maybe this set didn't hit how we wanted it to, or maybe this is not exactly what we're going for. I kind of just hear reinforcements that this is like exactly what they wanted, or like I'll hear like Outsiders was the best selling set, and I'm like, okay, but. But Bright Lights, I mean, we moved away from talents and now these supplemental sets are not supplementing and you have like the single card in Jermai, you know, this expansion slot that is now push this hero up and that's like not ubiquitous across any other heroes. It's like, I don't know, I just feel like design is in a weird spot and the communication that we used to have is just not there because that friction, I don't feel like it's that controversial to say there's been friction with things like Bright Lights and impact on the classic constructed meta, the state of living legend, Etc. And you know, I know I don't even give a lot of validity to people hating Lexi because Lexi just maybe it was unfun to play against. Maybe it's an unfun deck to play. That's fine. But people will always hate the best deck. But multiple sets in a row having very little impact. You know, stores 
moving away from the game, content creators moving away from the game. I think that it's time to sort of look at the process and look at these sets that we're, in, we're designing for Flesh and Blood and maybe go back to the drawing board. I don't know if it, that means going back to Tales of Warrior power level, but I wouldn't look back at the last two sets and say, boom, that's a win. <laughs> and I'm not saying this an abject failure, but I wish we had more communication about like, you know, maybe we're shifting away from this in the future, or at least this is our plan in the future rather <laughs> than like, it kind of feels like we as a community, or at least maybe I'm in an echo chamber here is like looking at flesh and blood right now. I'm just like, I'm kind of confused. I feel like I'm a little lost. And I'm just like wondering where are we actually going with all this? Is it, is it all just like living legend will just make this better at that point? Hmm. So basically what you're saying is who's driving? Yeah. Who's driving here? God damn. Been saying that for years. <laughs> Uh, look, I, I don't disagree with a lot of the points that you've said, and I haven't heard, listened to um, the MNR cast sunset show, so to speak. So I, I don't, I can't comment on, you know, Roger's feelings or, or even Michael's for, for that matter. I think also actually one thing I do want to just, I want to drop a pin on this so we can come back to it during our, our main topic discussion is you talked about Tome and Dromai. Let's, let's come back to that mm-hmm. because um, Dromai was very powerful and Tome is done something but it's not the be all need not as much as people as, as people, people think we can come back to that yeah drama was already very very good uh but people were just well yeah to be fair i was i was relaying the message from roger Bodie, who was uh famously could be quoted as saying Dromai was unplayable that's i do remember <laughs> that i do remember that i, remember. I shouldn't have played that to nationals man that's that cool anyway um in terms of what you say about the kind of the set design and look People are going to come in and out of the game, right? I think that's that's natural. People are going to enjoy, and this has happened since the you know people hated Starvo, people hated Prism. Like that's going to happen, yep. right? People are going to enjoy the game for different reasons, for whether it be competitive reasons, whether it be non-competitive reasons. And obviously, we're a competitive focused podcast. For us, we focus a lot on the competitive side, and so we focus a lot on the the meta decks, right? And what enjoyment people take out of playing with or against those. That's always going to happen. Hundred percent agree on on that. And then the next part in terms of like the sets, well, that's where it starts to get a bit more complicated. Like, I don't necessarily think that LSS are doing okay. So they've taken a, a pathway, right? Which is this pathway of yep. of managing power creep, which is a really difficult pathway because the more traditional pathway in TCGs is just to implement power creep in your games, and the next set sells better than the last set because everyone needs the cards or it sells the same, you know, or the diminishing returns aren't as bad, right? When you limit power creep and you really try to manage power creep, it's a, it's a great idea, right? But how do you actually execute it? And I think that's obviously been the challenge for LSS, particularly this year, as they kind of transition to, I know you coined it kind of the other day as like Fab 3.0 almost, you know, this kind of, you know, what is what does the power level of Flesh and Blood look like as we, we sunset Tales of Aria and Monarch Heroes, right? As we move forward mm-hmm. into this new era. And that is kind of the question because to me, the power is still there to a degree. I tell you what's not though, the consistency. And that changes the dynamic yeah. of flesh and blood massively. And is, yeah. is that for good or, or for worse? I'm, I'm not sure. I know some people have started to quote some of the things that were thrown around at flesh and blood in the early days, which was, oh, it's just a number, you know, it's just a, a math generator. You just have to do math to work out the game. And I would say that no, because the consistency has actually gone down and now, you know, less consistent strategies are potentially the the more viable strategies i think that's where we're going to transition to but we're in this like middle period of like almost like 
like you just kind of said, you're almost in this like twilight zone. You're in this kind of like, yeah. there's nothingness. Like what, where do you go next? It, it's not being acknowledged too. So you just feel disoriented as a player, right? Because for the, I mean, talking about variants. So that's the thing is like when, if you look at current flesh and blood design and what looks to be future flesh and blood design, you can look at Levia, the demigod hero. It looks mm-hmm. like they, they've decided to sort of cut out the bottom, right? And they're like, well, increase the variance, you know, increase the ceilings, but de- decrease the floors, you know, stop that, that, um, that consistency and, Et cetera, et cetera, which is a good thing. Like Flesh and Blood is a hard game. It's a very mm-hmm. punishing game to new, new players and it, and it's daunting. It's it's not in a great spot to onload new players and everybody has acknowledged that at this point. But <laughs> it's like, what is the correct direction to go there? Because we're both taking, we're both tuning down the power level and maybe people, so this is where maybe. I'm always kind of torn is like, did, did people actually enjoy playing change? Did they enjoy playing Starvo? Do they actually enjoy doing busted stuff? Or is everybody just nostalgic for those decks because they don't exist anymore? more because i'm definitely in that group at this point and there's a part of me there's a part of me that exists in marines like damn i wish we could go back to those days but did i actually enjoy those days i don't no, know bro. i'll roll I, the tape <laughs> on you complaining about starvo every single episode dude i, I do hate tape. starvo I, w- I will never say starvo is good uh, anybody who's design. copying about starvo best design screw them <laughs> um but yeah it's just uh it does feel like we are in a bit of a twilight zone and that the communication or at least like the to be upfront and be, to be frank about the situation and where the future of the game is, it doesn't. I don't feel like we have that communication and that relationship with the studio that we used to and with the development team. Because, like I said, the only feedback I really hear from them in regards to the sites is like these sets is like Outsiders was like the best selling set ever. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> I'm like, it's so antithetical to like everything I'm experiencing. One thing I'll say though is that you know Roger when talking about his issues with the game you know, did put at the forefront that he wasn't enjoying it anymore. And um, I think, like I said, totally valid reason to leave. I would say I'm I'm definitely not at that point. I, th- I think that we can come off as cynical, can come off as critical, but I'm, I'm not at that point. But also, to be fair, having fun in Flesh and Blood is actually not that important to me <laughs> because what's important to me is hanging out with my friends, People. doing doing cool stuff, flying around the world, and then engaging in like this like intellectual competition with you know, your group of people versus like this other larger group of people, whether it's the teams or just the tournament in general, it's like, it's very stimulating to me. So yeah, the actual like enjoying of the game is just, it's not, yeah, it's just not at the forefront of what, what makes me come back to it. I'll say. I look, I'll, I'll say, I, I wanted to end on this as well as that. Um, we've, we've had a robust discussion here about some of the things, some of the issues we have, and I, I've got one more thing to add, but I firstly just want to preface that by saying, I still love Flesh and Blood. I really enjoy this game. I might not agree with the kind of current state of the game, but I also have faith that like we are transitioning. Like you say, we're in Wild Zone, we're in Midgard, whatever you want to call it. We're in this kind of like uh, realm between realms almost, right? Of of kind of the next stage of Flesh and Blood. And and I'm I am excited. I'm looking forward to what that could mean and what that could be. Like uh, small parts of it. I mean, like I took a hero like Dromai, which I would never have played before. And I've really enjoyed like in the past six months, kind of since Ultim Living Legend, like learning that hero and trying to develop and, and trying to understand the different sides of the game. And there's there's another couple of heroes at the moment that are also on my radar from that standpoint. I've, I've still enjoyed the game a lot. I enjoy playing Limited still, although, you know, I, I think that is, there are some challenges there. But what I, I, the last thing I want to say is that I think that LSS need to be really clear about the design space and their future space. And I know Brian, when he was on the pod, he did mention a few things, right? He kind of dropped a few hints with us. But the one thing that kind of gets my goat a little bit, I will say the last thing, is when, you know, you look like a hero like Teklavossin that's just been printed, which just like statistically when you look at Telashar and anecdotally is like the worst hero in the game. And the response is, 
Yeah, but people just aren't getting it. People just aren't designing, <laughs> you know, building decks in the right way. People aren't playing in the right way. Yeah. And I'm, I'm makes honestly, you, makes I'm you wonder about that playtest group. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit it sick really of that. Makes you- yeah, it makes you wonder about the internal playtest group because I I agree with I agree with um I agree with uh, what they say about Flesh and Blood being you know it's a very mathy game and I think because of that this I this this idea that there are these decks that exist in Teclavasen or Prism etc that have just not been found and could be dominant meta decks and that might not be what they're saying but the thing is is like if they're if they are of a order of magnitude away from the best deck like. <clears throat> They are largely unplayable, it feels like, in a lot of these tournaments. And I think that, you know, maybe in that internal group, there's a little bit of copium smoking that's been happening (laughs) with, like, you know, maybe they had a deck that could win sometimes, like a version of Prism or a version of Tekla Vossen. But in, like, Fab Reality, like, I just, nobody plays that shit. I'm sorry. It's like, it just doesn't happen. Like, those decks are mega unplayable. And I don't even, I don't even, I don't even, if I go to an armory, if I go to a local event, nobody's playing um johnny decks like that like the, the, the psychographic like i, wish they I were just more. don't yeah i wish they were, yeah, I know. I wish they were. Yeah. but it's so punishing in flesh and blood like because flesh and blood doesn't and again i don't want them to crank the variance up too much but in something like like other games there is like a much larger variance lever whether it's yeah. on the land system or etc yeah. but uh i yeah, think we're transitioning we to have that, that i think yeah, that's the transition because we don't, yeah yeah, because we don't have that. Those decks, that's what I'm saying, is those decks are like mega unplayable. Like it feels like shit to be to play decks like that. Like it just doesn't because you get smashed every single time. Like you're actually playing just like worse on every axis. Um but to answer to say to go off what you were saying, Hayden, if we go in that direction, do we lose the essence of what makes flesh and blood flesh and blood? And my, honestly, honestly, I think yes. I think that is the 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 tightest tightrope you can walk. Maybe it's the the rope they need to walk to save the game and to make it casual friendly, to bring new players in, mm-hmm. to make it something that can scale into that five, ten year um range. But it is so dangerous because if we like just trying to add more variance in in ways that don't feel intentional or skill expressive can hurt what makes your game attractive to the audience that currently perpetuates it which is the competitive audience or is the the audience that enjoys the lack of that variance mm-hmm. yeah but i want to i want to channel my inner roger Bodie before because yeah since we're sunset we're, since we're sunsetting roger Bodie, <laughs> um we love you roger but since we're sunsetting roger somebody's got to come out with a hot take <laughs> roger was known for his hot wasn't takes. that the hot take no, the, the oh, okay. hot take is that I firmly believe that Flesh and Blood should have a primary, a primary as in it is the main format or at least adjacent format um, to Class Constructed that is a rotating format. There we go. A rotating format. I strongly believe that and I will get shit for that because maybe your tunics won't be as valuable, et cetera, et cetera. But I, in my opinion, design is just being crippled by this and this initial commitment to be eternal. Um, and maybe that will change as living legend format becomes a legit thing and it'll make yeah. things more exciting. But if we, in the current state of class construction, if that was the only format, um, I think this game could greatly benefit from a rotating format. Um, but also there's some nostalgia there because in me, for, for me, the most fun I ever had in flesh and blood was in limited sets, right? The early stages of flesh and blood, but that could all be nostalgic. So it's oh, hard yeah. to say, but 
I would die on the hill that I think that there should be a rotating format in Flesh and Blood. I, I would. still love Limited. And uh, look, I, I had a, a lot of fun playing Flesh and Blood this last weekend, and, and I'm still going to have fun playing Flesh and Blood for the foreseeable future in my eyes. Like, I am enjoying this game. So I get that we're going through, you know, some some changes in the game and some transitions, which is what it seems like to me, um, for sure. But you know what? Like, I'm super excited for Worlds, super excited for, uh, you know, heavy hitters next year. Uh, you know, we're going to get a Warrior, Guardian, Brute, tri-set which you know three of the classes from welcome to wraith i do think this is a little bit of what you just talked about of going back to some of the roots maybe of, of flesh and blood um and which is sort of continuing on theme a little bit you know with with non-talented by the looks of it yeah. um so you know we'll, we'll see they've clearly i think they've made a decision on the design direction and and we'll see it play out i think over the next six months in particular um i did just want to say you know i think the we've seen some great competitive content come and go over the past 12 to 18 months you know i think of um you know michael feng and yuanji and and the podcast mm. that, that they did and then also with what mnr has to give into the community so you know i encourage if there's competitive players out there who do want to share their voice and, and want to share you know the knowledge that they have and impart that and you don't have a platform like reach out to us as well you know we're, we're happy to try and help people gain those platforms as well um so let us know yeah it's uh yeah it's hard to articulate um because it's all like it's also fresh it doesn't really let the the whole thing percolate but it is sad to see yeah it is sad to see uh players in the community that are doing similar content to us uh come in and then leave for one reason or another like it is unfortunate because um i think a lot of those first not a lot of them but i know at least for the reasons that mnr um maybe stepping away for a bit like there is a general tension that's going on in the game that a lot of people feel that could just be a vocal minority that exists on twitter that are content creators etc imagine that but i would say that yeah (laughs) but i would say that what what they what they are what they were feeling and their reasons um they talked about in their pod like we hayden and i are we're not immune to it we're existing in the same place We're we're playing the same game um and i think that ultimately uh, legislatory should they should listen to that and they should give at least some credence to it uh, because it, it is relevant it, it's a big deal when a podcast like that decides to take a hiatus yeah yeah well shout out to those guys and uh, also just just the last but it ain't easy you know what i mean um and on that note uh, brendan as we transition uh we are putting up a bit of a survey you know we want to make this podcast and the youtube content the, the, the all the content that we do as best as possible and deliver as much value as possible to what our audience our our ap fan base our our fam as we like to say the ap fam uh want to see from us so if you got some time drop us a response on this uh, survey that we're going to throw out there on on twitter uh we'll also throw it in the show notes as well It'd be greatly helpful to know what do you want more of what do you want less of they clearly want more jokes brendan so make sure you prep some of those and um you know what do you want to see on on the show moving forward and mm-hmm. i think we're gonna do some like spot giveaways to incentivize some some responses as well so make sure you, but also only if they're actual responses as opposed to someone just going through and just ticking the name get out of here get out of here. yeah some feedback i consistently get is people wanting to buy the life pads and t-shirts and um yeah sorry y'all should out of luck <laughs> maybe we'll eventually we'll get over to that can you bring <laughs> so, me a life pad to worlds by the way i'm, I'm, I'm out uh, i'm out uh yeah i think i've got a few more left uh right. those are very limited edition if you ever get one just yeah. know that you're, you're special one of one of the few in the world um but maybe eventually we'll do something like that uh, hook, anyway hook me up let's 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 talk about let's talk about the game let's talk about the format yeah um, let's do it so for me let's talk about 
looking at world champ, looking at the world championships, looking at the class constructed meta, I do think that there is a what I like to call a Jermai imperative. I think that it is the best deck. I'm not, and we can break that down. We can dissect it, but that statement in and of itself, Jermai is the best deck. I think is. I am happy with that statement. I would say that, and I think it's factual mm-hmm. enough, right? I'm happy to say that. And that's um, it's not always the case, right? And I'm a big copium kind of guy. You know, you I are. play a lot of Kano. I play a lot of bad decks, and there's <laughs> I am uh, I'm definitely hesitant to say something is, is, is the best deck. But I do think Jermai right now, it's the best deck, and it's something that you need to have at the forefront of your mind for the World Championships. One thing that I said to our testing group, which I, which I believe is that if possible – I think that you should show up to the World Championships ready to compete as a world-class Dramai player and then go from there, right? Then if you still don't want to play it, if you're testing points data another way, you can audible to a different pick. But I think if you go, I know, especially in the in the context of our players, if you show up to Barcelona a week before and then you decide you want to swap over that deck, you're going to be in a bad spot for many reasons. One, because the deck is complicated to play, but also two, because I think that the list itself needs a lot of work to be correctly tuned for an expected metagame. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that expected metagame might be, but it's hard to fit all the tools you need into one list. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, it's a different kind of way to look at the best deck. I think I said to you that this to you before we jumped on the pod brennan that this is a very different best deck than we've seen in previous formats i think um one because of the transition of the power level in the game and we've seen the exit of some really powerful heroes over the past 12 months but also just the the way this deck plays like traditionally the the game plan of the best decks in the format has been super super linear it's been um you know do the thing or rely on one particular card you know, cough crown of seeds uh, to do something really repeatable and abusable. And Dromai has some of that aspect. It has replacement level in some of its cards, but there's only so many dragons. Um, your deck ro- like resolves revolves around a a resource that is very unique, right? In the form of ash, and then consequently red cards in your deck. And also, you can play in almost all three ways that you can play Flesh and Blood. You can play as an aggressive deck, you know, a rushdown deck. You can play as this um sort of controlly value-based life orientated pick your moments kind of of deck almost run your opponent out of threats at times and you can also play as like almost like a combo deck at times as well so jeremiah is very very different to any of the best decks thing we've had previously when we look at decks like chain starvo lexi ultim prism um and i think that's really exciting for one but also it just presents a completely different challenge when it comes to what this meta could look like. And also when you start to think about what the rest of the meta looks like outside of Droma, which, you know, I agree with you, Brendan. I think just clearly the best deck, the deck to beat or the deck to play for this coming world championships. Um, the other thing is like, what does the rest of the meta look like? It's fresh with Lexi. Mm-hmm. You know, all these other aggro decks that could be around that we haven't seen in so long, we don't know what they might look like. Yeah, you also have no idea what the sort of the metagame breakdown to like what share these these sort of other decks that are not your mind will actually take up and that is a huge weight on picking a deck that beats the deck because often the paradigm that you're faced with is you might have a deck that beats the deck but it loses to some other deck that could be show up to the tournament that is also filling some other role um i just want to ask you in terms of jermai because you said it was not like these previous uh these previously dominant linear decks um that it does have it can be played in so many different ways when you say that it's not similar to quote unquote decks that have been the best mm. before, is Jermai a deck that is, um, do you think it's, 
Yeah. Do you think it's is it so power? Do you think it's so powerful because it has access to all those different tools, or do you think it's because, uh, or do you think because it's not as a not as repeatable, not as linear, not as uh, just I don't know dominant in doing that one thing? Is it a deck that is more ripe to be exploited and targeted? Um, that's a great question, and I. Uh, it's it's a hard one to answer. So uh, actually, it's two parts, right? So let's answer the first part mm-hmm. first. Around, um, I guess. Wait, was there a first? Yeah, it's like it's a, you just first said, one like, is, is kind of like is is it? Well, I think the first one is actually is like is it is it as dominant as yes. other best decks? Like, or is it um, because you know, like we talked about with Leo already in this podcast, is like, yeah. That that's a level of dominance. Is how would Jermai compare to some of these other? Jermai's harder to play. Jermai's harder to play, and it's yes. harder to build. And we've seen for a long time. First of all, there's multiple builds of Jermai, right? And also, I think you nailed it on the head when you said the right configuration. It seems like it's like, well, hold up, like forty to fifty of your cards are locked in, right? Because you need mm-hmm. dragons and you need specific cards, right? Rakes, etc., locked in. Yeah, true tomes at this point probably locked in, right? But true. But also, the other ten cards actually really dictate what your deck can do in a lot of matchups the way you like if you play if your final 10 cards are all block twos that are super aggressive you know thinking kind of more red line dromides that are super and the line's blurred now honestly but these more proactive dromides that want to beat down they want to rush down i'm thinking about things that play like flame call awakening etc then you know you've got a lot more block twos you a lot more block zeros and probably less blues available somewhere in your 80 flip to a deck that wants to play more value orientated maybe they're thinking about cards like sigil they're thinking about more blues to play a, a different matchup into things like icelander and bravo all of a sudden that does change what you can do so the the build is very it has a massive impact on the actual game plan which goes to those you, what you just talked about having these kind of three axes or different ways to play the deck actually means that yeah, unlike other decks that even if you change cards, it still felt like it was pretty linear. It still did the thing. When you change mm-hmm. the cards within Dromai, it's still operating in kind of different spaces, which is really unique, honestly. And and it is. It's hard to play, right? So um, I do think that you you do need the reps. You do need good game plans of Dromai because also if you fundamentally don't understand the way to value your cards in your deck in Dromai, you just get absolutely pumped. And we saw that for, honestly, we saw that for so long. We saw Dromai, you know, really struggle to perform to its level, I think, for a long time. Baltimore, we saw a couple of sneak into top eight and do really well, and and two players who were vast experienced on the hero, and but then we just did not see the hero really convert, and the meta changed a little bit between sort of like national season, uh, before bright lights, and we saw Dromai do a lot more in that season. I think it was just fundamental understanding of of the deck and and also the the card pool available and what you should be doing in a given meta um, before we move to bright lights. Obviously, get Tome, which Tome is powerful, but presents its own issues when it comes to how you build your deck. So. In terms of the second part of the question, exploitable, mm-hmm. I think back to metas that have been a lot more linear and a lot more, I think a meta game can be exploitable, first of all, and then a deck can be exploitable. So, if I think about a meta game being exploitable, I, let's take PT New Jersey, for instance, right? Like, it was a very linear meta. It was three decks that existed in that meta. It was Prism, Starvo, and Chain, and the meta was solved. It was very linear. You could pick. So, you, you were open. There was a lane to pick to try and exploit that, right? Um, you know, like when you know, you guys went back to the well with Kano and, and really d- delved deep on that, right? Because there was a lane to yeah. exploit. It's interesting in the context that they actually banned cards like literally right before that tournament and the, the metagame was like known, but also kind of unknown. It Do you remember weird. that? I it think was weird. We always forget about PT1 that they like randomly banned. 10, days before. Cards, like, 10 days before. <laughs> Yeah, so the the meta game was known because Starvo was broken. So it was Chain. And, uh, yeah, so, so it was, was Chain. Um, 
Yeah, so it was Prism. Exactly. All these heroes that have left us. Was there any other, hero so, in, any other heroes in the top eight than those three? Oh, well, Kano, obviously. But Maybe there, like, uh, could so. there have been a Briar, maybe? I don't know. Oh, yeah, um, I think there was a Briar. I think um, I've forgotten his name. Sorry uh, to the player who played Briar, but Jacob... I'm pretty sure his name is Jacob. He's a very good player. All I know is whoever they were, they were probably European because then Tom American, Tom was American. European. American. What? He was the only American. Yeah, yeah, I he's American. I've, I've, sorry, I've slipped his last name, but um, pretty sure his first name's Jacob. Very good player. Uh, has played a lot of Runeblade. Anyway, so to answer yes. the question about the exploitability, meters can be exploitable and then decks can be exploitable. And yes, I think the overall for me is that actually a, a powerful linear deck that does a thing. I think in this game is actually hard, often hard to exploit. Feels kind of intuitive. I feel like that should be the one that's easy to exploit because you go, okay, here's the game plan. I'll go around above or whatever the game plan. But the game plans are so consistent that it's so mm. hard to just outvalue what that game plan's doing. And because the yeah, consistency is exactly, they're just doing a thing better. And you can, you know, metagame them a little bit, but often your your answer is high variance, right? Yeah. Um, so I think about people trying to play Brutes into Prism, for instance, yeah. or, you know, trying to play Runeblades. Yeah, Kano. Exactly, yeah, Kano. Yeah, or yeah. Runeblades into, into Guardians, for instance, in some of those meters. Whereas on the flip side of that, Dromai with these kind of, all these axes that it can kind of plug and play into and, and operate differently, um, it seems like it should be less exploitable because you can adapt, right? But the problem is, is like, you can't consistently do any of those things as well as any of the other best decks in the format have ever done. So, for example, you know, um, let's take Chain, right? Chain was this just like insane damage output combo deck, right? That could do a really powerful thing up front, but then also had this kind of almost inevitability in the mid game um, if you, you know, around fatigue, for instance. So it was hard to kind of combat that strategy of this kind of burst of damage. Whereas like Dromai, on the flip side, it's like, okay, it, it can't do that as well, but it can do it. But if it needs to do that, to answer a deck if it needs to do that for instance to beat something like Fi or katsu because it can't go long against them because they get too much kadachi value they clear your dragons they get mask value etc then it needs to do the burst thing right but the deck can't consistently do the burst thing as well as other burst decks in the past have done or even you know something like ultim where it can like attrition and fatigue people Droma can do that as well but it can never do it as consistently as well so that's kind of i think it's more exploitable than than these other top decks have been in the past because you can you can force Droma to have to play in a certain way to beat you and they're just not going to do it as well. And, and that's that's a potential exploit. And I think that's what people should be looking at for Worlds is like pick, pick if they're picking a, a, a because you need to have a powerful strategy in any deck, right? You mm -hmm. just have to have a good deck, a good linear deck, first of all. But if you find a good linear strategy and you think, you know, like you have to work out your matchup in Jerome, what I'm working out then if I'm that person with that deck is like, what do I think? is the way that I can play that forces Dromai into a specific play pattern based on what I know about the deck and then try and make sure that I can beat that play pattern. And and honestly, the decks that we've seen have done this a little bit recently. I would say Lexi's adapting have been a perfect example of this. The Lexi's in kind of the Nationals meta, for instance, they were playing these versions that I think were soft to Dromai because they weren't forcing through arrows that had relevant on hits and stopped them from being able to trade value and push back damage. And now they are doing that with things like Hamstring Shock with Sleep Dart, you know, playing Ice Quakes and Lightning Presses in the deck. So it's, you know, they've already done that. So who's next to do that is kind of the question for me. Are there heroes and are there decks that can just target Jeremiah or do you, when you're when you're bringing a deck to beat Jeremiah, when you're bringing a deck to target Jeremiah, are you actually not targeting Jeremiah and are you targeting a specific archetype that exists in Jeremiah? And if that is the case, what Jermai do I prepare for and what Jermai do I plan to beat? Do I plan to beat the Tome Jermai? Do I plan to beat the more blue-oriented Jermai? Does it matter? Like, the, it, what, Can you answer that question? I think so. I can use an example. And that example is going to be Icelander, which I think we're going to talk about probably in layer two. So Jermai, you know, 
the way that we've shifted with Dromai is to be more uh, more like this linear explosive powerful deck, right? You put tomes in your deck and you have these, these draws that can just do insane things. But consequently, because of that, you have to drop your blue count and also you make your deck a little bit less consistent. It's just, just the truth. Um, so then when you have something like Icelander, if you think Icelander is a powerful linear strategy, then what you're going to do there is you're going to target the the fact of what you know about Dromai's looking like, right? Which is like they can put out a lot of damage early, but if I can target the weaker sides of the deck, which is now with these less blues and these kind of sometimes clunkier hands, if I get my channels at the right time, is to target the mid game and the late game. And I, I think that's... That's kind of an example of that. And I think all these, I don't think, I think if you take a deck and you go, I'm taking fire because it's got a good matchup into Dromai. It's like, okay, what, what aspect of Dromai does it have a good matchup into? Like fire has a good a good matchup to Dromai for the first third of the game. It can just really push through damage, right? Um, but if, if Dromai can do that better than you, then you're in trouble. So you're kind of targeting the other two facets of Dromai almost. The, the no blocks, right? You're targeting like the cards that don't block like tomes and stuff. You're targeting the kind of, clunkier hands you're targeting the hands that don't you know like non-kyloria plays non um these dragons that don't force you into a particular play pattern there's a lot of things that currently exist in the metagame that you know in my dr evil quotation uh <laughs> fingers beat dromai oh yeah you put your you put your pinky out right there it's like okay you can play icelander and you can capitalize on, on them having a mm-hmm. uh, very little amount of reds Okay, well, you can play ninja and you can tr- yeah exactly, or you can play ninja and you can trigger the mask and you get you get to attract these dragons for free and that's better than Jermai. <clears throat> or you can play Bravo or Rhino and you can pop Jermai and maybe fatigue them out. Also apply pressure and it's like, <clears throat> well, so- we saw those strategies try to be implemented back with old him and old him is in some ways a better version of Bravo and in, in most ways right maybe not as aggressive as a ultra aggressive deck that might show up to the tournament, but there's like. There's multiple decks that exist in this metagame that beat Jermai on some of these angles, or you know, like I said, in quotes, beat Jermai on these angles. Like, yeah, how good are those? De- how good are those decks actually? Like, are they good enough? And can you reasonably expect an, a specific archetype of Jermai to show up enough to to give you like enough confidence to bring a deck like a Bravo, like an Icelander, um, or like a Fi slash Katsu? Or are you really gambling? Like, what is your expected metagame for Jermais that are showing up to the tournament? First of all, the the, the given is you think it's going to be the most played deck. What fucking deck do you think is showing up? Is it the Tome deck? Is it some new deck? Is it the blue deck? Like, is it the big dragon deck? Like, what is what kind of drama is showing up to this tournament? Well, I think just to, uh, I'm going to counter you a little bit on that and say that I don't, I think as much as we've talked about these kind of 10 cards mattering, I think that the list people are moving towards all look pretty similar to be honest Mm -hmm. i think what people are working out is that in order to have a draw my list that can compete against a wide meta and especially against stuff that a little bit and don't get me wrong i'm not saying that every list is going to look exactly the same there'll be you know there'll be some nuances right and there will be some that will change some of the matchups slightly but they're going to play tomes i think they're going to play crown of providence to prepare for like the azalea matchup and the even potentially bravo if they want to play that way into it i think they're going to they're gonna all gonna revolve around kind of having tomes and having like a kind of a both both kind of plans almost like a split plan. I think like we saw that have so much success in in Dallas, and I think that is kind of the prevailing. You know, as me as a drama player, I also think that is just the correct way to play it right now. And it seems like that's the prevailing thought process is that you have to be able to lean into those 
multiple facets of Dromai as opposed to just leaning into one. Like, I think when we started, when Tome came out, I was like, hey, let's try min-max Tome. And it was like, actually, this feels so terrible. You just increase your variance and you you polarize your matchups, which is, I I don't think that's what Dromai's strength is. Dromai's strength is that it doesn't polarize matchups. It's that it has these three the three or whatever multiple facets that can play into different ways. So, um, yeah, I, don't, I just don't, don't know if that exists, to be honest, this kind of idea of like different looking dromites fundamentally now so there's since they started to converge and there's a there's a more clear version of what ver, of what dromidec might show up to the tournament theoretically that should make it more targetable right yes. if we're looking at these layer two heroes one thing i want to say it's a tangent sorry to take you on the tangents don't don't put regis on your deck it's not going to work nobody's going to play oh i just I just, don't, I just don't even if i only had crown of uh dominion in yes. my list i just don't flip it into arachne yeah, Carol <laughs> tweeted that out, and I was just like, nobody's going <laughs> to just uh, not put the helm on. I just um, put the helm on. Yeah. yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't it's play. It's the old, like, do you remember when um, we'd play Kano yes, and Chain? No, 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 oh, Kano and Chain, and that only have husks, so they just wouldn't flip husk against us? <laughs> they yes. just had no chest well, piece? I also, <laughs> I also remember the, the developers who were like, hey, because we flagged, ch- sorry, tangent, sorry. Some people love tangents, but this is a good one. We flagged Chain, like, super early in testing. And like, they're this like, is broken. <laughs> They're like, you guys are idiots. You literally just put snag in your deck and then it's it auto loses. So we did fatigued. we did that and it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, it turns out they just uh in that little testing group, they weren't doing the combo. <laughs> I was like, anyway, back to the game. So um let's talk about some of these layer two decks. And which what what layer two decks or other decks in the metagame that are not your my are yes. coming to the front of your mind as valid picks for this tournament that you might be leaning towards. I know that you're a player that has a lot of experience on Jermai, you've had success on Jermai, so you're you're definitely primed to play that hero. I'm not saying you will. Uh, what other heroes are sort of on your short list that you are really considering at this point? Well, definitely, you know, Jermai just draw me, but you sit at the top of the pod. I, you know, traditionally haven't liked to play those layer one decks, right? Those, those, yeah, those layer one decks. I kind of stay stray away from the deck to beat. Um, I prefer to be beating the deck to beat or beating the decks that beat the deck to beat, right? <laughs> like layer three. <laughs> but, yeah, or layer five and just, just losing the tournament. Oh, yep. yeah. Well, hey, hey, no, 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 no. I get it. I didn't cash in Taipei, right? We can't cash every event, okay? This is what it is. Yeah, uh, you did well in Dallas, though, so. I did. I was undefeated in Dallas. Kano Copium, let's go. All right. Okay. Um, the layer, the layer, okay. So, what are the, was it your question layer two or just the decks in general that I'm looking at? Yeah. What decks are on your short list, right? Of decks that are not your mind. Like, what decks are you actually considering as like playable? Because obviously, there's, there's actually, there's actually a lot of choice, like choice. <laughs> I don't know how to say that word, like unironically. There is a choice. You can make a choice. Which heroes would you legitimately consider that are not your mind right now? Like, what do you, what do you maybe even play testing? Yeah. So, to that, like, for instance, there's decks that I wouldn't play because they're not my style, right? So I think there's some aggressive decks that are probably viable that I, I, I wouldn't play. But I think are going to be on people's radars. Um, as much as I know you're going to you're gonna hate this, I think I think Phi is still something that people are going to look at. I, I think Azalea is actually the one that is, like, the aggressive deck that I would look at. Um, and, and Dash IO, potentially. I'm off Dash IO. That's off my radar. But I know people still have that on their radar as, like... Yes, it's inconsistent, but the power level is so high that it's it's worth potentially taking a punt on. Um, but it's mm-hmm. it's off my list. Uh, Azalea, I think, is is in a very interesting spot, and it has a 
pretty reasonable Jeremiah matchup. It's, maybe it's gone a little bit worse as these Jeremiahs kind of shore up their Providence plans a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think the other deck that's very much of interest is Icelander. And Azalea has a good Icelander matchup as well. So that's kind of another piece. And then, you know, I know you're coming around on this on this this number one man, but Bravo, right? Yeah. Bravo looks like potentially maybe a go-to deck to beat the deck to beat, right? You know, like the, the so deck to go. Yeah. You're right. I'm coming around. I'm coming around. Doesn't mean I doesn't mean I don't hate the hero. No, I still hate the hero. Um, and then lastly, and I still think it's. <laughs> and then lastly, for me, is Dash. I think Dash is definitely you know it's something that was held down. I think a little bit by Lexi. Um, it's trying to work out. I think where Dash operates in the meta. You know, is it this level two deck? Is it actually level three deck? How good is this matchup into Dromai? Because traditionally, this matchup into Dromai has been really tough. But you have some access to new tools around, right? So, like, is that one that that is that is potential as well? So, I think kind of summing up where these heroes are in this like, kind of next tier. Because honestly, I think S tier is Dromai. If you want to put a friggin' tier list together, Dromai is S tier. Then there's like honestly, I think five or six heroes that are like fighting for that meta share of like what could shake out to be eventually this meta game because it's not clear right now. And those are Icelander, Bravo, Azalea. Ice, wait, Icelander, Bravo, Azalea, Dash, and I thought there's five. I guess. And Dorinthia. I, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I guess Fi. I guess Fi is potentially in there or Katsu interchangeably. I think there's a ninja in there. That's the one I'm less, less sure of. Okay. So a couple of pushbacks. So I'd push back on Azalea because I think that is, I was talking, you know, I talked to Levi, and Levi said that ugh, one thing that. Uh, it's bad for Azalea, or at least not good. This Bravo. is a, a, a non no, not just Bravo, but it's the it's one of its best matchups is rotating out of the format. Like one of the main reasons you'd bring Azalea to a tournament, which is to target Lexi. A lot of the players that were bringing Azalea were trying to target Lexi, has rotated out. So is this matchup in Jermai still good enough? Because when I was talking to Levi, Levi said that its matchup into Dromai was serviceable and good at this point because the Dromais were absolutely not teched for them. But Dromai gets a little bit more breathing room as Lexi leaves the format. Um, I don't know. I For me... I think that makes... I actually think it's the opposite. I think that they get breathing room because of Lexi. And then if, are they going to tech for Azalea? Because a lot of those cards actually have some overlap. And are you going to spend slots on teching for Azalea? Like, that's a big question you've got to put in front of yourself because you have to put some cards in there. Like, if you're going to tech yeah. for Azalea. Cause that how, how do you tech for Azalea? Give me, give me like a couple cards. Uh, well, it's it's ways to stop like their their tall turns so that you can keep swinging yeah. with dragons. So it's Oasis and Sanctus. Does it does it dual function as a way to protect yourself against something like a Bravo? Uh, Oasis maybe maybe, but like you have to have a really good Crown of Providence plan, I think. Um, and the other card that it's it's I guess it's like looking for this build that like I don't think you can play Tomes against Azalea if you want to have a good matchup basically so if your deck revolves around playing Tome and majority of your matchups or to make a lot of cards function then you're going to be in trouble so that's kind of where I stand on that one mm-hmm. does um does Bravo does Bravo and Reinar so both heroes oh, that Reinar. have this yeah this critical mass of six attacks and I know they function very differently do they actually beat Jermai do they do they actually shut down Jermai's game plan by having access to so many phantasm poppers or is that concept at least in its sort of origin right there's just like oh six attack beat dragon is it a bit overrated like can Jermai still beat these decks that have so many you know six plus attacks that can just pop its dragons so if your plan is to pop dragons you're going to lose the game to good Dramise. Mm-hmm. Like, that is just hands down. I think these Bravo plans that, like, are like, we're going to fatigue. It's absolutely terrible because 
if these drummers are set up in the right way, they're just going to fatigue you or they're going to set up so many damage turns that you can't deal with. Like you give them so much space that you're just going to die. Like if you're, if you're focusing on just clearing their dragons, then they're just going to wait. They're going to wait and then they're just going to, they're either going to continue to put poppers into you with rakes and remembrance back rakes and uvias, or they're going to eventually, if they're on the dust plan and not the, the ghostly touch plan, then they're just going to put dust on the top of the table and they're just going to play three dragons in a turn plus a passing mirage. And then there's just no way back into the game for you. So I, th I think that's pretty poor, right? But Reiner is actually nightmare fuel, honestly. Like playing against a competent Reiner as as um, as Dromai is just absolute nightmare fuel. And this isn't just me uh, on the back of my feature match at Taipei with the uh, with three Blood Rush and four turns. But honestly, that matchup is so, so difficult because the problem is, is they all have access to these poppers, but also they have so much damage output and they have disruption for your hands as well. So you can't piece together the hands in the way that you want, which is what you need to do to beat a deck with poppers. Okay, these are the, and pressure. Okay, deck with poppers and pressure. I need to be able to set up the right board state so that I can get through the poppers. Pressure I need to deal with by either presenting threats or blocking efficiently. And right now just says, well, I'm just going to not let you do any of those three things. I'm going to absolutely cancel you on every single uh pillar that you play on which is kind of what we talked about before with draw mine how it can operate i'm going to cancel out everything the defensive strategy i got you covered with intimidate the aggressive like dragon strategy i got you covered with poppers okay this like the strategy of kind of slow and steady maybe set up for a combo i've got you covered with just my damage output so honestly i i just think rhino is just the worst matchup i know you said the other week you're like rhino's not a factor good dramai players are going to come up with a counter plan I haven't found a way to beat. I don't. Rhino. I don't know. I don't know if a counter plan, right? It's just like Reinar just gets so cannibalized by some of these other decks. Oh yeah, the, the deck sucks. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, like the variance I was, threshold is so high. It's like oh. I yeah. was very high on potentially trying to get Reinar to Worlds this time around. This is. I think I was like, this might be the time. This might be Reinar <laughs> for Worlds. And about five days in, it was abandoned, unfortunately, be because your matchup into Icelander is not that great. Your matchup into Bravo is like a lot worse now that they've got all these upgrades and tools, all these good aggressive tools. It's just, it's so tough. It's so tough. You just, if you, if your intimidate mechanic isn't relevant, your matchups are so hard. I don't think I have a lot of credibility saying things like this, but <laughs> because I can <laughs> say them sometimes when they're not true, but I do think that Icelander looks to be really well positioned in this, in this tournament. Cause I don't I think agree. there's going to be a lot of Azale that shows up. I agree. Icelander <laughs> looks to be. If if not really well positioned, like borderline tremendously well positioned, it depends on how the Dramais are built. There's definitely versions of Dramai that are much harder to beat for Icelander than other versions, um, which is a very ambiguous, useless statement. But yeah, I mean, if it's a mono red tome deck or nearly mono red tome deck, that's going to be uh, a bit easier to deal with than the older versions of Dramai. But even Icelander was competing in formats where Dramai was not built around tome. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that the the decks that Icelander really struggles against, I highly doubt are going to show up. I also don't know how much credence I give to these ninjas. I don't have faith in them. That's a good matchup for I Icelander anyway. I know, but I just I know that ninja is seen as a traditional counter or a somewhat traditional counter to Jermai. Uh, I think that that's been debunked and it's been very publicly debunked. And you know, a lot of people probably scream from the rooftops that it doesn't actually beat Jermai. Um, yeah. I just don't think the ninjas are going to show up. Maybe there'll be a team or two. That has like a aggressive Katsu deck, like the Polish team showed up on Katsu at PT Baltimore, and it's definitely <laughs> better positioned in this format than it was at PT Baltimore. So some credence to that. But um 
Yeah, I just I just don't see the hype these like hyper aggro ninja decks really showing up. You know, maybe dash. A dash just like dash even post bright light still seems to be powerful but niche. Uh doesn't seem to be like a deck that's going to come in, in in force at least. Could it put players in the top 8? Yes, but yeah. If we if we were to if there's one deck that starts to creep towards the front of my mind and I'm a bit um Bias. bias towards it. <laughs> I'm a bit biased towards it. It looks like Icelander. And I would love to hear why Icelander is not well positioned. And if if the main reason is that you you think that Dramai is uh is just good into Icelander, I think that's fine. But mm-hmm. if you think Icelander is decent into Dramai, especially these new versions of Dramai with Tome, it's well positioned into this metagame. It is. Yeah. I, I don't think Icelander is well positioned into Dromai with, with these new builds, but what I will say is that it's never been a terrible matchup for Icelander. It's it's always been, I think, or at least in the list we've seen in the last sort of six months, it's been I would and because that, that's my experience with Dromai, it has been Dromai favoured. But it's a scary matchup from the Dromai side. And having played a lot of both of those sides of the matchup, um, I would rather be on the Dromai side. But you know, like the Icelander can can easily win in the situations where like their game just it does go Icelander's way. Um, so yeah, I, and then p- part sort of parcel that with like you know tome builds and potentially cutting blues and having to rely on kind of higher variance tome draws. Like it might not increase the overall win rate for Icelander, but it's going to increase I think the amount of like games that Icelander can get on top of early and actually win. Um, but they'll be flipped with, you know, games where Dromai just goes tome in the first, you know, two times in the first three turns and just kind of nails double Themai or something and the game's kind of, you know, <laughs> rolling yeah. away. Yeah, so I want to wanna hit some hot takes because it's just, maybe that's just my new role on Arsenal Pass, but I actually think it's that the metagame, I know, uh, the, the metagame is going to, if I was going to name the top three most played decks, I'll name them in order. You know, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. I'll do you all service. I'll even name the top three decks in order to be top played decks Book, at day this. one of the world cha- the world championships. So it's going to be Jermai. Be Jermai will be the most played deck. The second most played deck will be Bravo, because people are freaking crazy. And then the third most played deck will be Icelander. That's what I would book in. I would pen that in. I think Icelander is infinitely more powerful than Bravo. Infinitely more dynamic, but I think Bravo would be the second. But dude, I I just sense it. There is this tingling. In my chest, that tells me that people are going to bring Bravo in force to the World Championship. People bought it to last worlds, dude. Um, I, I don't yeah. disagree. I think people my probably brought is, it to PT one. Wow, uh, <laughs> they did. It was Bravo start the show. Um, I think Dromai is going to be the top. Player. I just think it's it's clearly the best deck, and I I just I think in this format where we don't have this really defined metagame with aggressive, like what's the go-to aggressive deck is the next question. But um, I do agree. I think because of that, Dromai and then Icelander and Bravo. Honestly, I could see Icelander being number two and Bravo number three, but I think those are, I kind of agree right now. I would see as the top three, but I could also see a world where those two kind of, they are two and three, but they drop off a lot. And then four and five are really close. And that could be decks like Azalea in response to Icelander and, and Dromai, but also the threat of, people thinking about the ninjas as well potentially and and a ninja or a linear aggressive deck with its dash io with its boost dash whatever it is could be that fifth deck potentially so but yeah this is a meta where for the first time ever and in a, in a we're heading to a big event and there's no hey this is the aggro deck to play because right like every mm. it's okay we go pt1 right it's chain or before that even the national season is freaking lightning briar and then it's chain and then the season after that it's um is it is that Phi season after that at Pro Tour Live? Yeah, it's Phi. Stubby Hammer is Phi. And then Stubby Hammer is banned. We go to Lil and it's Phi. We go to the World Championships. It's still still Phi. 
And then we roll into uh, PT Baltimore and it's Lixie, right? Mm-hmm. What is it? Yeah, but like that deck just doesn't exist, right? Yeah, you're right that the, that deck doesn't exist. So I weird. mean, maybe, maybe it's like Merrick Kemp's dash, but that's not a. I, yeah, I mean, obviously, I haven't not, seen his latest list, but it's not like there's other aggro decks at all. But I think if people are looking for the aggro deck of the format, <laughs> okay, obviously Dramai is not is not the aggro deck. It could format, be though. It, it, maybe it is. I maybe know, but it, that's what I'm saying. It's it's not that, but it is. You know, if someone's looking for a deck to just go burr, um. I mean, the Jermai... Red Hot Jermai. Jermai Red Hot Jermai. Yeah, there you go. Red Hot Jermai. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. Do you think that Bravo is a valid enough pick to be the second most played deck? Or do you think it would... Or, you know, if it was in the top three, do you think it would be overplayed? Because I just think that that's a comfort pick for a lot of people. And I think that, um, you know, Bravo is powerful enough into Jermai fundamentally that you will maybe beat a lot of mm. Dramai players that are not attending the world championship. But when you get to the deep waters, that is the world championship. It may not be the same experience. I think the worst kept secret amongst like some guardian players right now is that the best way to play Bravo is like a, a very aggressive Bravo build, right? That's how you mm-hmm. punish Dramai's right now. It's like this kind not of- Not like, this budget old him stuff. No, no, no. And the other thing as well is like, what I want to point out in terms of your question is a lot of traditional Alton players are not Bravo players. So I don't think it's like this easy transition of alt into Bravo, but I think there's a lot of Bravo players out there. And there's a lot of players who who want to go to a deck that just goes, I pop your shit, attack you, and you win the game. And if you don't, you lose the game. It's kind of, I think, and I think that's appealing. Yeah. And also, yeah, by, Bravo, by, Bravo the way, just, I, by the way, I beat ninjas, but uh, none of them exactly. showed up to the tournament. But, <laughs> oh, Azalea though. You absolutely stomp Azalea into the ground. And I think that is a real appeal for Bravo. So I think Bravo is a legitimate pick. And I think it's like you'll match up into even like some things that traditionally have been a little bit tougher, maybe like dash and stuff like that, aren't as bad as they used to be because you have all these upgrades to cards. Honestly, like even a couple yeah, of you do have boulders drop and stuff like that. Like you've you've just these more on hits. You just have better cards than you used to have. And I think, yeah, it's a it's a it's a perfectly viable pick. I think. Will I be playing Bravo? Ninety eight percent. No, I will not be playing Bravo. But <laughs> I think if you show up to the tournament not ready to play in the bravo not having a game oh, plan you, whether you, that's a, yeah, yeah. well you need a game plan for both versions you need a game plan um that's the tough you know, part like, as drama yes i know yeah. well we saw we saw pablo and pablo pintor recently took recently ish took bravo to to top eight said that mm-hmm. this was a good pick for this weekend would not be in the future because people would adjust he's playing a more defensive version um you know you need to be prepared for that version uh like Lexi's, you know, they were in the past week and they were cutting Tome of the Abyssal, mm-hmm. uh, cutting out the fatigue packages, etc. But you also need to be ready for the one that just absolutely plays insane cards like Starstruck, Spinal Crush, um, Crippling Crush, etc. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know how much of your sideboard you need to commit to a deck like Bravo, but it's wide ranging in, in the strategies it can employ on you. Well, that's what happened to me in Taipei, round three, 2 0, round three, parent to Bravo. And we have a Bravo plan, but we're, we're assuming that people are going to try to at least probably put pressure on but clear dragons or put pressure on but with not the deck list that i plan to and the deck list i plan to is very similar to what i think that um chia young tech actually top aided that event with which is a lot more proactive you know you're playing e-strikes and stuff like this as well so that's what i played into a deck that had e-strikes else beltings of course rouse and she just put on pressure while you know popping dragons as they needed to and i did not i was not set up for it i had too many cards in my deck I had the wrong cards in my deck and you know i got completely wrong footed caught wrong footed 
um i also misplayed like an absolute donkey brain but don't worry about that um i don't think even if i had played well i don't think i would have won that game because i was just set up in the wrong way and i think that's that's really hard it's like how do you make sure you're set up in either a way that can beat both plans or if that's not possible how do you decide on the plan that you're going to set up for and that's that's gonna be tough because people are still going to show up and they're just going to say okay i'm just going to point my anathos at your dragons and th throw poppers at your dragons every round um that's my plan so yeah Okay, well, it wouldn't be an Arsenal Pass podcast uh, talking about a Tier 4 event without asking, is is Kato viable for the World Championships? Of course not. Um, I do need to also add... <laughs> I mean, I can... Look, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think there's just too much incidental kind of yeah. BS that just kind of makes also no reason to take that variance no I reason to take that you don't think so I don't I don't think yeah, there you is don't, you don't need to play a deck like that I think you play Kano in a format that is that is similar to PT1 that is similar to you know potentially PT2 if Briar didn't have access to an absolute yep. fucking oh ridiculous gosh. amount of spell and we're just playing it yeah. yes yes be hyper tuned narrow linear aggressive metas I think Kano is fine into you know if the clock is not too fast because there is a too fast of a clock. Kane is fine, but into this like very diverse, like mm -hmm. you know, diverse in terms of archetypes, in terms of heroes, in terms of like you know how much arcane barrier, spell void, like all these other factors are going to show up. We've talked about it a million times on this podcast. Those are not the tournaments to bring Kano to. Is Kano better positioned in this tournament than into this tournament than other tournaments we've brought him to? Yeah, probably, maybe. I don't know. But not, not at for this me point, <laughs> yeah, at at this point, there's just there's no reason to take that variance. I I just don't think that that's that that is a high the deck is, I don't know, <laughs> this is a deeper discussion. Is the deck actually high variance? I will say it is a high variance pick at a tier four tournament, and there is no reason to take that risk. Yeah, I mean, I, I played it at PT1. I played it at Worlds, right, last year. Uh, mm. I think this meta is is worse because I think an undefined meta is worse for Kano because you don't know what to expect because people are, like, they're floating around spots on slots. Whereas, you know, like Worlds, it was, like, I was pretty confident what Arcane Barrier people were going to present in any given matchup. And that makes it so much easier to navigate how you want to play the game and have really organized and set game plans. Um, and that, that doesn't exist. So, no, I, I, I think... Yeah, I, I don't think Kano is something that I'm personally looking to. But hey, look, you know, there's there's two weeks left until Worlds, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, you mean that there is a, there's like a week that we're well, I don't know. You get into Barcelona later, but there is a there is a portion of time in which in which a bunch of Kano players will be in the same room in person, and that is uh, yeah, I ain't, never I ain't standing good. near them. I ain't getting involved. <laughs> it's never good. Um, but yeah, I think honestly, I think that we've. We've rounded out the metagame pretty well. Is that all the decks will show up? No. Like you could also talk about things like Azuri. Um, I think that Azuri is in a worse position now. Alexi is left. Like that was sort of one of its better matchups, probably. Uh, we didn't talk too much yeah. about Dash, but Dash is Dash is one of those decks that I think that you know maybe Merrick or Sam Sutherland could show up in it and do well or whoever whoever plays Dash. Dash is good. Dash. I think Dash is good. I think Dash it's is not going to be the third most played deck, though. It's not going to be the second most played deck. Probably not. I mean, it's it's really hard to say, but I, I think probably not. Um, th there is there is one one other mm. deck. One other deck. One is other it Dash IO? Dash IO is no, the one. We already to close the book on Dash IO, right? Uh, did we? Okay. It's a Kano pick. It's like the same. It's like the same thing, right? It's like it's very similar. It's a just, similar. There's so much chatter around Dash IO that I'm like. Am I missing something? And then I try it again. Yeah, do they and I'm have it? Fairly confident that I'm not missing anything. But like, yeah. maybe I am missing something, and someone shows up with the stick, and you know, it is the deck. I, 
yeah. power to them. Dark horse, right? It seems so inconsistent to me. So if someone someone solves it, um, they've they've done a great job. But no, I I think there's no other real. Unfortunately, like there's no pocket pick where it's like this is the deck that goes after Jeremiah because that would be the other one. We like okay. I mean, I mean Reinhardt, right? Like that's the one that. And that's what I was thinking. I was like, man, I think Reinhardt that could be a great pick for this this world's. But I just think that the other like three decks that are probably going to make up the top four are just not good matchups for you. So, yeah. Any any credence left in regards to fatigue ninja? Yes. Good call. Really? I um, like, oh. I think like I mean, how do you? <laughs> what your your worst matchup is just like the overwhelmingly most played deck or one of your worst? No, no. <laughs> what Droma is not a bad matchup for you. It's not a not a bad matchup. I felt like I guess I was playing a different version. I was playing a five version. It was very lukewarm. Oh, that dude, best. that okay. Sorry, I, I love Sasha Markovic, and you guys were talking a bit of smack about me on uh, the Dallas stream. So I'm gonna reply. No in kind. That wasn't yeah. me. Yeah, that wasn't it definitely me. was. But I reply in kind. That do- that list was absolutely dog. Like that list that you guys I, sent me. I was like, I didn't tweak what? it yet. It, Sasha's list. I'm telling you, I'll I'll, I'll die. I sent you the, the cartoon Sa- list though. Sasha's list. They they they. They suck until I give them that magic touch. They really well, do. You need uh, to change the so hero outfit. Did, it, didn't, it didn't have my stamp of approval. <laughs> so, I but just quickly, I do actually think that. So the Katsu list that I shared in the kind of ProQuest five decks to play, that Katsu list, uh, I actually think is is fairly reasonable, and I think your drama matchup is not that bad. I will say, actually, not not bad. I think it's actually favorable for you. But I do think that if they test into that matchup a few times and work out uh, a slightly different game plan, I think there's a slightly different game plan that Dromas can take in that matchup uh, that makes it very hard for you to do anything. And and that's difficult, but I don't know how many Dromas are going to even bother to spend the time on that. So, like, honestly, you know, if you're expecting kind of, you know, these mid-rangey decks, like a deck that just kind of just goes completely defensive and also has an answer to the deck that ruins traditionally what that deck can do what an ultra defensive deck can do in the form of Dromai. If you have a plan for that, hey, you could have the best deck in the format. Will I be playing it? Probably not. Mm. Um, I kind of already asked this question, but I mean, this is more of like a post event question. But by what order of magnitude do you feel like Dromai is the best deck uh, over other decks? Can I ask you for a benchmark? Like, uh, let's say, yeah, yeah, definitely use a benchmark. Like, okay. use another event. Like, use another tier four event or S- another meta. Stavo at PT one. What was that? I mean, I think that that was like that was that was just the fucking best deck. Like, you can, chain was competitive. Pablo Pintor won the event with chain, but yeah. I played chain in Stavo and it was fucking miserable <laughs> it sucked <laughs> so uh, th- more power to pablo on that <laughs> i mean i don't think i don't think it sucked like chain was the other day like that i would have defaulted to um okay i think it's somewhere between the briar mirror of pt leal like being on the lower end and mm-hmm. uh probably world championship icelander because world championship icelander i think in retrospect it was just, just clearly the best deck but Oh yeah. Uh the way that the meta was looked at at the time, it was like the kind of dichotomy between Ultim and Iceland and Fi. Um but honestly like the way the decks were being built and for that that tournament like Iceland it was just the best deck. So um and I think that's in a similar way to Dromai where it's like, you know, it's really hard to put your finger on why it's the best deck and but flip side of that Briar and that PT Leal meta the problem was like it felt more open than it actually was and that's kind of how this meta feels. Is it actually more open does it feel more open than it actually is and that's kind of what it might be yeah. honestly is there anything more powerful than 
putting permanents on the board, you know, having explosive turns with cards like Tome of Imperial Flame, um, having multiple end game win conditions um, in your deck. And like, I just wonder if the dragon thing is just, uh, you know, in the end, it's just going to be a little bit above curve for modern flesh and blood. And Drummond just will become that deck. And I also think Icelander is that deck to an extent because Icelander plays on both turns and has access to crazy combos and Storm Striders. But, <laughs> you know, there's like two decks in this format right now. I'm just like, okay, those, those decks are playing chess while all these other decks are playing checkers, um, in my opinion. Hey, Aether Wild 5 for 6. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blazing yeah. Aether for 22. Let's yeah, go. exactly. All right, um, take us out. Yeah, I think that that, yeah, that, that's, that, I mean, that concludes what's going through our minds. Obviously, it's not, uh, you know, it's we awesome. haven't formulated our, our, yeah, we haven't formulated our final opinion. We probably won't until we literally, I'm sitting in the booth and Hayden's sitting round one facing a Reinar and he's on stream and it's my favorite match of the whole entire tournament. Um but these are the kind of things that go through our mind when we prepare for these events. Um, and it's tumultuous, to say the least. It's so likely that I play a deck that's soft to Reinar as well. It just, it just is the way I play Flesh and Blood, I think, now. So Yeah. Well, speaking of MNR, because we talked to them at the top of the pod, they did post a tweet, and they were like, what what wins for best game in Flesh and Blood? Everybody's calling it these legendary matches. Oh, my gosh. And fucking, I was just like, Hayden versus... I forget on Rhinar. That Z- was my Zach- Zachary Wallach. Uh, <laughs> Zachary Wallach on Rhinar brings a smile to me. I prefer I the other Rhinar game at that World Championship round three of Swiss against Chandler. It's against calling winner who won that. He won the calling that weekend. I beat him up on stream. He dropped from the event two rounds later and went and won the calling. So I I think I had a hand in Chandler Toe winning that calling. Just so you know, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, if you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy it. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps so, so, so much. I'm on YouTube at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass. You can see my stoic, unrelenting, unmoving face on this on this week's podcast, as well as Hayden's video. Um, <clears throat> and hit that subscribe while you're there. We're both on Twitter at BrendanAPG at Fien underscore Dale. Big shout out to all the Arsenal Pass patrons. You help us do what we do. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Don't forget about the survey. Make sure to vote.